0: And welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's Church. On today's Christians of History episode, we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Jens Nelson, telling us about (laughs) the man, the myth, the
1: legend, the one and only... Everybody loves him, John Calvin. There you go. Well, I think uh, at the outset it's helpful to say that uh, a man of of this stature, it is nearly impossible to condense his life into you know fifteen-ish minutes. And I just maybe it's helpful to just you know reiterate this, since I don't know how often we actually say this about our Christians of history. Um, but you know, some of our intention behind wanting to do them is not just to be informative. I mean, it's 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 fun to learn about you know Christians of you know past centuries of bygone eras, so to speak, but um, really the hope in in studying these people and talking about them is to to learn from them, to, to learn from their mistakes, to learn how to more faithfully live, to think maybe the way that they thought, to, you know, critique the things that they critique, to love the things that they love, or to, um, you know, as we'll learn in our heretics series, if that's about to come up, you know, don't do what these people did, or whatever it might be, um, so, you know, when we're talking about Calvin, though, it's fun to talk about some of these things. You know, what does his life um, actually mean, especially for somebody who is so substantial in the Christian faith and I think in, in just history in general? So we'll we'll jump right in here with, with John Calvin, man. <laughs> so John was born. Uh, I should maybe mention that he's French. So even John Calvin is the English way to say, you know, Jean Calvin or however it might be said in French, I probably just butchered it, I'm sorry, to all of our French listeners, but he was born July 10th in 1509 in France. Uh, He was born to to middle-class parents. His father was a lay administrator in the service of the local bishop, and his father actually sent young Calvin to, to University of Paris in 1523 to be educated for the priesthood. So, you know, uh, his father had some some high aspirations for him. Uh, later, he decided that he um, should actually be trained as a lawyer. Um, so from 1528 to, to 1531, Calvin studied law. Um, when he returned to Paris, uh, he studied Greek and Hebrew as well as Latin. Um, you know, these are sort of like the three languages of, you know, ancient Christian discourse, and this was sort of in preparation for, you know, more serious study of the scriptures. Uh, it also intensified his interest in the classics. Um, his first publication, which was in 1532, was a commentary on Seneca's essay on clemency. Um, so that was a very brief, just kind of like sweeping through, you know, like 30 years of his life or whatever, 20-something years. Um, but, you know, now we'll sort of go more in depth with saying that Calvin was originally trained as, as a priest, as I said, uh, but during his studies is when he actually broke from the Roman Catholic Church. So you have to imagine this is, again, in the 1520s, um, Martin Luther and the Reformation has sort of exploded out into Europe. Um, People are starting to, um, you know, kind of convert to to Protestantism, so to speak. And uh, Calvin was sort of living in the the height of that. So it was during his studies that he sort of broke away from the the Roman Catholic Church. And this is what led his father to suggest him becoming a lawyer. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're not going to, be a Catholic, why be a priest? So maybe, you know, make some more money being a lawyer. So <laughs> um, this is kind of why he went to go study law. And it was after actually some some religious tensions that had erupted um, and resulted in widespread deadly violence against Protestants in France. Calvin actually fled to, to Basel, Basel, Switzerland, where in um, 1536, he published his first edition of the Institutes. So like, I'm pretty sure Calvin was like 27 20, 27 years old, 26 years old or so, when he wrote his first edition of the Institutes. I'm about to turn 26 uh, in a couple months here, so that's kind of kind of a wild thought there. Um, but it was it was in that same year that uh, Calvin was recruited by Frenchman William Farrell to join the Reformation in Geneva, which is probably where maybe Calvin is most well-remembered, well-known. Um, he reg- and If
0: if I remember correctly, he didn't want to go, but didn't Farrell tell him that, like, if he refused, then God was going to judge him. Like he would, like kind of prophesied <laughs> yeah. judgment on Calvin if he didn't yeah.
1: come to Geneva with him. <laughs> I forgot to include that little detail, but yes, he basically said that he was pronouncing judgment from God upon Calvin if he didn't go. Which, I mean, I guess if you're trying to get someone to do something, that's about as strong of, you know, a persuasion as one would need. <laughs> so, but it worked. I mean, Calvin, Calvin went, he regularly preached sermons uh, throughout the week. I wish I could have. I, I was really trying to find. I read a book on Calvin, like an auto or a, a biography, and I couldn't find in that book where he talked about this. But he he mentioned like how many sermons Calvin would have preached a week, because um, he wasn't just preaching Sunday mornings for like one service, but like throughout the week he could have been preaching 15, 20 sermons a week, um, and that's you know on top of lessons as he taught in schools and and stuff like that. Just like absolutely insane, and something that was also sort of well known about Calvin is he didn't preach from notes. So he didn't prepare sermon notes, but just preach from the word and his his just vast understanding. I mean, he wrote, you know, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, knew a lot about, you know, the early church fathers, you know, studied as a priest for a while. So he has this like wealth of knowledge and is able to just expound the scriptures, you know, pretty eloquently. Um, But the governing council in the city of Geneva actually sort of resisted. Uh, Calvin and some of what he was doing. So uh, Farrell and Calvin were expelled from the city. And so at the invitation of Martin Bucer, I always butcher like these old names. I don't, you know, I'm guessing that's how you'd say it. Uh, Calvin proceeded to Strasbourg, where he became the minister of a church uh, of French refugees. And this church he he sort of, you know, really fell in love with, really enjoyed the work that he had done. Um, he continued to support the reform movement in Geneva, and actually, in 1541, he was invited back to lead uh, lead the church of the city. And this also, he had, again, another struggle of like, do I want to go? Because he had really, you know, really taken a liking to this church where he was ministering to French refugees. Um, but and again, also, not to interrupt, no, I, I don't know if this is true, but I, in my
0: Reformation's class in, in, at Moody, we learned we we talked about. This whole, you know, we talked about Calvin and his life and everything, and and I, I don't know how true this is, but apparently he, because he didn't just go to Strasbourg because Martin Bootser asked him to there. He was also like you kind of mentioned he was he was kicked out of Geneva. Like there was obviously some tensions, but then. The people who kicked him out were the ones who invited him back because they realized, oh, they needed him <laughs> to right. continue reform. And I've heard, the thing that I don't know if it's true is his first day back or his first Sunday back or whatever. He he picked up where he left off preaching like three years before, two years before, and was just like, "As I was saying," and <laughs> preached, you know, just continued. Which is un, if that is if that is exactly how he said it, I hope it is. That's, That's just
1: savage, unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that is true because I, I think I remember reading that too. And I can't remember if I prefaced by saying this, but I'll, I'll throw it in here again if I did. It's very difficult to, again, condense the life <laughs> of, of someone into such a short amount of time here. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, if you're interested in Calvin, which I think a lot of people should be, even if you're not quote unquote a Calvinist, like he, his influence on the church is still <laughs> uncalculable. So like mm-hmm. take the time to read some of what's been written about him. I and mean, you can read like tomes, like, volumes of his works of his biographies um so a lot lot to sort of unpack but we'll continue i guess by saying that you know he returned he did return to geneva Uh, he began to introduce new forms of church government liturgy um and this was despite the opposition from several powerful families in the city who were trying to sort of i don't know keep him at bay i guess um it was actually during this period that michael um servetus i don't know severitus um who happened to be actually a Spaniard who is actually well known in like medicine, like o- older, mm-hmm. um, you know, during this time, modern medicine. It's not modern mm-hmm. anymore, but. Uh, he made he, a
0: pretty important I can't remember what it was, but he made a pretty important discovery. Yeah,
1: it I was think. like having to do with like s- blood and. Yeah, I, 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 like I, like, I don't like remember. Arteries either. or
0: something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but. Like uh, I, pretty significant. Right. Yeah. And well, well regarded, um, at least. In that community, Uh, maybe not so much in (laughs) church circles, because both the Roman Catholics...
0: just the arch-heretic of arch-heretics
1: of the medieval era. (laughs) Right, exactly, because both the Roman Catholics and the Protestants uh, had their issues with with Michael here. Um, He had a heretical view of the Trinity, um, some other really questionable things, uh, was preaching against... Predestination, supper, like baptism basically <laughs> <Just> everything, everything. <laughs> he was like i'm gonna be like as contrarian as i can be and when he arrived, i don't think I-, I don't think this is the last
0: that we'll hear on the podcast from from good old michael servetus i'm i'm sure just, um just leave it at that leave it yeah at that
1: <laughs> um but yeah he arrived in geneva he was denounced by calvin um you know and there there's some even some correspondence i think there's some letters where kelvin wrote to him before he arrived and was like hey if you come you probably aren't going to leave alive <laughs> which is kind of you know that's a that's a pretty bold statement there um but as history unfolded um when he came apparently servetus had been living under a little bit of like a um like an alias for when he was traveling around. And so someone recognized him in Geneva. He was uh, brought before a council and essentially the proceedings led to him being burned at the stake uh, for heresy. Um, Amazing. So this sort of thing, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to think, you know, we don't do those types of things anymore with heretics, but um, that'd be an interesting episode on its own to, to sort of do an episode about, (laughs) Uh, you know punishments for heresy throughout church history, but leave it at that to say uh, that following an influx of supportive refugees and new elections to city council, uh, Calvin's opponents were sort of forced out of Geneva, and so he spent his, his final years of life promoting the Reformation both in Geneva and throughout Europe. I mean, he worked, and again, he preached and preached and preached. Um, he, you know, a lot, I guess I'll continue on and here and say that unlike martin luther who is sort of a contemporary a little bit older but still a contemporary um calvin was a very reserved man um apparently he rarely expressed himself in the first person singular um which i thought was kind of interesting i think is that i so like he didn't refer to himself like i do this i do that um i think i think that means like in his writings right he didn't talk about i've read like like
0: in letters or or stuff like that he's he he doesn't really talk about himself
1: right Um, And this, this sort of hesitation, I guess, contributed to his reputation as maybe being cold, intellectual, unapproachable. Um, Those who knew him well, though, perceived him differently, uh, remarking at his talent for for real loving friendship, but also having a hot temper. Um, So he wasn't just this like reserved, quiet, calm dude. He had, he had passions, he had affections. Um, The the intensity of his grief on the death of his wife, um, as well as a lot of his you know, emphatic reading, you know, in many passages of scripture revealed a large capacity for, for feeling, for emotion. And so it's interesting, you know, when we think of history, when we think of um, how we can caricaturize somebody as, you know, being reserved, being, um, you know, over the top, whatever it might be. Like we, we have this like uh, this perception of a persona of a person, um, but maybe in actuality, they weren't always that way. And, And I think Calvin is that example because, you know, I think we when we think about Calvinism sort of the school of thought that comes from him it was not something that he was teaching Calvin I think would be turning in his grave if he thought about like what Calvinists say and do in his name these days um, but like Calvinism actually was sort of a something that came much later after his life um, sort of developed because of um, some other heresy that was sort of making its way into the church and it was sort of founded on some of his teachings and principles so that's kind of where we get that from. Um, And so because of Calvinism, because of the way that a lot of Calvinists talk, we have this perception of Calvin himself as being um, sort of just like aloof and unapproachable. But in, in, in actuality, he had a lot of really close friends. I mean, I have on my desk right here a book that I've only read a little bit of, but it's called Letters of John Calvin. And it's literally like a 200, 300 page book of his correspondence with people, both people in his congregation to... Um, contemporaries. I'm pretty sure there's letters to like Busser and uh, Melancton. Is that how we say his name? I always again butcher these names. <laughs> uh, but they're just these these writings, these letters of him expressing his his love, his affection. I mean, think of like Paul writing to Timothy, or um, you know, just it's, it's a pastor who cares for his people, and it and it shows in his writings. Um, if you're if you're interested in his political thought, uh, I guess the the aim. Uh, of Calvin was to safeguard the rights and freedoms of, of ordinary people. So although he was convinced that the Bible contained no blueprint for a certain form of government, Calvin favored uh, favored a combination of democracy and aris, uh, aristocracy, um, sort of a, a mixed government. Um, he appreciated the advantages of democracy, um, but to further minimize the misuse of political power, Calvin proposed to divide it among several political institutions like an aristocracy so like lower estates magistrates with like a system of checks and balances so it's still like that separation of powers and i i don't know enough um of this writer and i his name escapes me even but there's a um somebody who wrote i think in the 1900s that made the argument that a lot of calvin and his thought in these places actually sort of led to um the sort of capitalism that we have here in our country today. Um, The sort of, you know, the way that our our government functions as well. But finally, I guess, like Calvin taught that if rulers rise up against God, they lose their divine right and must be deposed. Uh, State and church are separate, though they have to cooperate to the benefit of the people. So there's a lot that can be, I think, you know, correlated. A lot of things that we can, you know, maybe look at and appreciate in our modern political system, you know, what it looks like for those to hold power, what it looks like for those in power to abuse their power. Um, you know, what, what that, what, what's to say there? Um, but but Christian magistrates have to make sure that the church can fulfill its, its duties and freedom. That's another thing that he held to strongly. Um, in extreme cases, the magistrates have to expel or execute dangerous heretics. Again, maybe some of, you know, looking back into history at some of the ways that they They dealt with those things, but nobody can be forced to become a a Protestant. Um, So in, in, again, in political thought, in how, you know, maybe I should have prefaced a little bit by saying, you know, what Kelvin's Geneva was, like Geneva kind of became this little, I don't know, almost like a Christian nation within a a nation. Um, But, you know, to him, this is sort of like what he wanted to establish in, in Geneva, this sort of, you know, again, mixed government where um, ordinary people have freedoms, where you know, Christianity is sort of um, heralded as like, this is good, but, you know, nobody can be forced to be a Christian, and nobody can be forced to become a Protestant, you know, again, this is sort of in the height of the Protestant Reformation, um, you know, a million other things can be said here about about John Calvin, about the the life that he lived, but, you know, he's, he's certainly a figure that you know, obviously, it's impossible to say what would the world look like if we hadn't had him. But you know, it's it's almost as difficult to say what impact did he leave upon the world. What what impact did he leave upon the church, theology, uh, the Christian life? And you know, if you're somebody who is Reformed, I mean, you're you're probably pretty thoroughly ingrained in a lot of Calvinistic teaching, even if you don't, um, you know take those labels if you subscribe to the Westminster confessions and if you use the catechisms if you use the Heidelberg the canons of Dort like any of these like really important foundational documents to people who are reformed like it's pretty saturated with Calvin Um, and much of our I guess modern theological discourse can find at least traces of Calvin so Again, I I feel like I did a, a a great injustice to a man who probably deserves um a lot higher praise, but at the same time, a man who would have probably turned down any praise that were to be offered to him. Uh, so maybe my really haphazard uh, <laughs> mini sketch of his life is is fitting. And uh, I don't know. Is there anything that you think or want to add? Or are we gonna good to, good no, to close? No, I think
0: that's great. I I would definitely recommend picking up. There are like I read. Shoot, I think it's called Calvin or or John Calvin, uh, Pastor and Pilgrim or, or Pastor hmm. Pilgrim Preacher or something like that. That sounds um, somewhere. I think it's by like Godfrey. I think is the last name of the author, but it, hmm. it's a really um, it's a it's a pretty good biography. I enjoyed it. It's not not too long, not too short. It gets into some depth, but it's re- it's readable. Um, I, I definitely think that. I would say this is true for anyone that, that we have or will feature in a Christians of History episode, but especially these these really big names in the sense of people who, who did a lot, wrote a lot, contributed a lot, Calvin, Luther, those kinds of people. Like, it, I, I really hope that these do kind of encourage, you know, diving deeper, um, uh, you know, into a biography or a collection of letters or, you know, a theological work written by, Whoever um, that we're talking about, like Calvin, you know, maybe don't just dive into, you know, the institutes at random because it's so dense. You know, maybe like <laughs> a summary of it or like an introduction to it might help. You know, with some of those more complicated, sort of, you know, less accessible entry points. But definitely, like a a, a solid biography would give you a really good idea of of you know, fleshing out the the highlights that I think Jensen yeah. was was sharing that and did a great
1: job of. If you condensing if you do want to read accessible calvin i mean the institutes like you said are pretty dense uh there is a book called um i think it's like on the christian life or um it's a very short book I, we mentioned it in the five books that every christian should read uh you know it's a it's a, a book written it's calvin's writing but it's an edited very 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 abridged form of the institute That's that's really really good um so that might be a good place to start too i mean it's like 90 pages
0: yeah nice well thank you for sharing as always and thank you so much as always for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast if you'd like to connect with us um, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear your feedback any questions thoughts on today's episode ideas for future Christians of history you'd like us to feature um, anything else that comes to mind you can sign up for our newsletter which is just a weekly non-spammy Uh, email blast on uh, upcoming episodes and any other important news or exciting developments in our little podcast world you can go to logos.com slash doxology podcast for more info on our sponsor logos bible software Um, and whether you loved it or hate it why don't you consider dropping us a review on the podcast app of your choice Um, We'd love to hear your feedback and uh, connect with you guys more on a one-on-one level too. So yeah, until next time, see ya. Later.